Have you ever felt like hiding someplace where your troubles can't find you? King David did, and for him, that someplace was a cave. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes you inside that cave where David poured his heart out to the Lord and turned his problems into praises. From The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's inspiring message, A Prayer from a Cave. You know, one of the things I've learned about the Psalms over the years, and I don't know who said this, but somebody gave this to me, either in a book or in a message. They said, every Psalm starts out with a sigh and ends with a song. And boy, is that ever true of what we're about to study. Here is David in the cave. He's at the lowest point. He thinks he's away from Saul, away from his enemies, away from everybody, alone, just with his uh, band of uh, security guards. (laughs) And there he is. And all of a sudden, he discovers he's not alone. He's joined by a group of people you wouldn't want to have at your worst day. And God uses that experience, and we end up at the end of this particular episode in his life with David hosting a worship service. Can you believe it? We'll get to it in just a moment. But first, let me remind you that during this month, our special resource for the month is a beautiful, beautiful book of reading for you. Uh, In the New Living Translation from Tyndall, this is a beautiful rendition of the Psalms and Proverbs. And we've done this in such a way, I, I discovered this from a friend of mine who had a copy of this and used to carry it with him with pictures of people he prayed for in the back of the book. And he told me all about how this had blessed his life, and I found out where he got it, contacted the publisher, and they agreed to republish it so that we could make it available to you. It's five psalms followed by a chapter from Proverbs. Five more psalms, a chapter from Proverbs. Read through the psalms and the Proverbs every month. It'll change your life. The psalms will help you understand God. The Proverbs will help you keep your feet on the ground and walk with men and figure out stuff that you need to know. So I encourage you to take this opportunity and get this beautiful leather-covered edition. We call this the Focus Life. Focus on God, focus on life. And it's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point during this month. Now, if you've noticed, uh, we're moving through the month of June pretty quickly. When you tell the story of a man like David, time flies. So don't wait too long. I want you to have this. This is a great resource for you as a believer, especially in the midst of all that we're facing today. It will have such a calming and encouraging effect on your life. Read it before you go to bed at night. Read it when you get up in the morning and let its truth wash over your soul. Once again, it's yours for the asking when you send a gift. Okay, here we go. This is a prayer from a cave. The life of David is a great encouragement to all of us because he mirrors to a great extent many of the expressions and feelings of our own hearts. As you know, David is a man of great faith and a man of great vision. But he's also a man who struggles on occasion with a gap between his belief and his behavior. As we met the last time we were together to talk about his life, we we saw David at probably the lowest point until the sin with Bathsheba. He has run away from Saul. He has left the security of Samuel. He has found his place before a priest by the name of Ahimelech. He defiles himself in many respects before that man of God by lying to him. 
He eats the showbread because that's all there is available for his sustenance. He involves a man by the name of Dog in mass murder, and because of his disobedience to God, the entire priestly line of Ahimelech was destroyed. From that experience, he went to the Philistine city of Gath, and there came before Achish, the king of the Philistines. And when he had on the sword that had belonged to Goliath, who was an inhabitant of Gath, the people recognized immediately that this was the David who had killed their hero. And in order to escape with his life, David had to make out as if he were crazy. And the scripture tells us that he banged his head against the door of the cities and and he slobbered in his beard. He runs from Achish, and now we find him at the beginning of the 22nd chapter taking refuge in a cave. The 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel is a very interesting chapter because throughout the chapter we see God trying to teach David that he can be trusted by him. In the first two verses, we see God trying to teach David that he can be trusted in his own danger, that God is worthy of his trust. In verses 3 through 5, we have an interesting experience where David takes his parents to Moab and leaves them with the king of Moab so that they will take care of his parents while he's in trouble, while he's a, a fugitive from Saul. It's quite interesting to discover that he took his parents to Moab because that was the place where his grandmother, Ruth, had been. And he no doubt had relatives there and knew about the city. The rest of the chapter, beginning at the sixth verse, shows how God can take care of a person when it seems like every evil thing in the world is against him. We studied part of that chapter the last time we met together. But today, I want us to look again at just the first two verses. In my estimation, it is a representative experience for many of us. For most of us are at one time or another at the very place where David finds himself. This psalm, Psalm 142, is one of three psalms that David probably wrote from the cave experience. Psalm 142, Psalm 57, and perhaps even Psalm 34. If you have been watching carefully in our study and brief exposition of some of the Psalms as we have touched upon them, you know that invariably as we have gone through the life of David, we have called these Psalms miktim or mikkil Psalms. The word is the word that you will find in the superscription over the Psalm, and it means a teaching Psalm. Psalm 142 is the last of the teaching Psalms. There are 14 of them altogether. In fact, David wrote eight psalms while he was on the run. The psalms of the fugitive David total eight in number. And these three that we're going to look briefly at today were written by David while he was running from Saul and hiding out in a cave. Now in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, we are told that David is in the cave of Adullam. And there are two caves into which David finds his refuge. One is the cave of Adullam, which takes place in that which we're going to look at today. And the other is called the cave of Engede. And that's where David cut off Saul's skirt when Saul didn't know he was around and then used that to prove that he wasn't Saul's enemy. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 22 that David departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, They went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became captain over them. 
and there were with him about 400 men. Now, most scholars believe that Saul had levied a heavy tax upon the inhabitants of Israel. And many of these people who were in debt and discontented and distressed were victims of the high taxation and were struggling for their very existence. They were friends of David from the past. And when they heard David was in exile hiding out in the cave, they decided to go join him. It should be evident to all of us at once that this was not your one-man cave. The cave of Adullam is still in existence today, and if you were to go and visit it, you would discover that the mouth of the cave is some 20 feet wide, and the height of the cave is some 40 feet, a place quite large enough for 400 people together. It is also interesting to discover that when the word got out of these 400 men who had gathered to David in the cave of Adullam, that they began to grow in number, for when you come to the 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel and verse 13, you will learn that this number has now grown to 600 men. What a group. What a wonderful bunch of people to have come and minister to you when you're down. I couldn't help but think this week that in this situation, David is like Robin Hood and these men are like the Contras. What a group. Renegades. Rebels. And they have all come there because David is there. Now David has become their leader. I do not know which of the Psalms David wrote first from the cave, but it seems apparent that he wrote Psalm 142 first. And so if you have your Bibles open to the Psalms in Psalm 142, we need to look at what's going on in the mind of David as he experiences this cave experience. Some of you may say to me, Pastor, why do I care about what goes on in a man's heart when he's in a cave? And perhaps you have forgotten that all of us have our caves, every one of us. For some of us, it is the cave of physical distress and infirmity. For others, it's the cave of financial reverse and discouragement. For still others, it's the cave of family distress and upheaval and rebellion. I don't know what the cave is for you, but everyone has them. Everyone moves in the direction of the cave on occasion. Cannot escape them. There are moments when we are down under all of the pressures of life and we seek for refuge. I cannot help believe that David went to that cave to be alone. He wanted to get away from everybody. And the next thing he knows, he's surrounded by all of these wonderful counselors that have come to be a part of his life. And because David is a poetic fellow, he tells us what he feels. I have a poet in my family. It's my oldest daughter, Jan, and... When she writes me letters, they are so rich with color and beauty, and I know everything that's going on in her heart. She's the most descriptive of all the Jeremiah's. And uh, I don't have to doubt about what she feels because she puts it down in writing, and she does it beautifully, and that's the poetic genius of David. You know, if it had been me, I would have just said in a little subscription, you know, life in the cave is the pits, <laughs> and let it go at that. David put down in writing everything he felt, what he was going through, what it was like, what his emotions were. And I'm glad he did because it helps me comprehend what was going through his heart at the time. It also helps me to see how he dealt with it. In the 142nd Psalm, David talks about the condition of his soul during this period of time. He was, first of all, disoriented. Notice what it says in your Bible in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Do you know what that means? The Hebrew of that particular phrase literally says, In the muffling of my spirit upon me. 
David felt like some fierce flood had rushed down upon him. He can barely stand up against the might of it. He's overwhelmed. He's disoriented. When my way and my spirit is so wrapped in trouble and gloom, so muffled with woe, my powers of judgment are baffled. Literally, that's what it means. He's disoriented. Have you ever gone through disorientation? <laughs> I don't know exactly what it's like at its total depth, but it's something like coming home from a trip and seeing your desk piled high with papers. And walking in and sitting down and looking at them all and sort of feeling like, there's too much. There's no way. I know I should start this. I don't know where to start, so I don't think I will. So you just sit there and look at them. Only David's disorientation is at a much deeper level. He's so cumbered with problems and difficulties. He's being chased by the king of Israel with the army of Israel. And now he's got all these sorry people around him that he doesn't really want, but that have come down to be a part of him, and he ends up being their leader. He's got all these personal problems, probably overrun with guilt because of the death of Ahimelech's family. And he says, I just, I'm just disoriented. Say, have you been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever gone through that part of the cave? David said when he continued to think about his situation, he went through a period of total desertion, feeling as if he was all alone. This is probably the saddest verse in the Psalms. Look at the fourth verse. He said, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Now, wait a minute, David. There are 400 people and more coming every day. What do you mean nobody's around? How can you be surrounded by people and be alone? I'll never forget a trip my wife and I took one time years past to London. And we went to Piccadilly Square right in the rush hour when all the work got out and everybody was running for the train. And we were standing right in the middle of a million people, they said. And we didn't know a soul. And I got in the uh, train, and, and Donna kind of got caught in the crowd, and I had a hold of her hand, but I couldn't see her. And I wasn't going to let go of her hand because I thought I might never see her again. And I finally held on to her and pulled her body in, and we got in the train, and we were smushed in with all those people, and I felt very, very alone, surrounded by more people than I'd been in the presence of in all my life, and yet very much alone. Sometimes our problems can do that to us, can't they? David said, I looked on my right hand, who am I going to talk to? I looked on my left hand, and they don't understand. You know what he said? There's not one person in this whole group that cares for my soul. I don't know what there is about a problem, but problems have a tendency to isolate us from others. We build a shell around ourselves and sometimes to our own undoing. We believe that we are unique in that situation. So who can we tell and who will understand? And the more we think on it, the more certain we are that there's not a person in the world who would ever totally understand what we're going through. So though we're surrounded by people, we feel very much alone. I can think back on some problems that I've experienced as a father, as a pastor, when I would deeply desire to have talked to somebody but just didn't know how to go about it wondering if anybody would really understand he's totally abandoned he's hunted by Saul and he feels alone and then because of all of this David gets depressed 
And the sixth verse is the best description for depression I have ever found in the Bible. It's exactly what the word means. He said, I am brought very low. What is depression? Well, if you make a depression in something, you press in on it and you leave an indentation. When the soul is depressed, when your spirit is depressed, when you are emotionally depressed, it is a low point in your emotional cycle and you get very low. David said he had gone through depression. I don't know if I've ever been depressed. I'm not easily depressed, not really easily discouraged, but I've probably been close enough to it to know that I don't want to be. And I've counseled with people who have suffered with chronic depression. And I know that it is a very, very heavy burden to bear. It is what is causing hundreds and thousands of high school young people, teenagers, to end their lives because they see no hope or any reason to go on because of family problems or because of total despair over the future of their own lives because of a lack of purpose and concern for spiritual truth. They look around at a world and to them it's not worth fighting and they get so depressed that finally they despair of their own lives and they're killing themselves by the dozens. David was depressed. All of his hope and all of his joy is gone. The thoughts of his problems have turned inward and now they're no longer out here. Now they're in here. It's no longer Saul is chasing me. It's no longer the 400 men are surrounding me. All of that has somehow come into his spirit and it resides within his own emotions. He may not even be aware that anybody else is around. He is so down and depressed and discouraged. Sometimes we think depression is sin. And there are occasions perhaps when it is. But as I've read the history of the great preachers, I've been overwhelmed to discover how many of them had great, great difficulty with depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher, would oftentimes get so depressed that he would have to take two to three months off from his ministry and go to the French Riviera just to be by himself and not even think about anybody or talk about anybody till he finally came out of it. Elijah was depressed, remember, after his great mountaintop experience. Jonah was depressed after he was confronted by God in his disbelief of God's will. I could name others in the Bible. Moses was depressed. Many of God's people have been depressed. David's depressed. And because of that, he has given up. He's just given up. He's in the midst of this situation. He doesn't see any way out. He doesn't see any hope. And so in verse 6, he just kind of looks at the problem and he says, My persecutors are stronger than I am. You see what David has done now, I want you to listen carefully. He's added up the score. He's put everything down over on this side of the ledger. He's looked at all of his problems, and you can just see him mentally listening to listening to them. He's got all these people, and he's got Saul, and he's got this problem, and he's got his guilt over what's happened, and he's the king-elect, but it doesn't going to happen that way. And he lists all these things down, and he looks at him, and he said, listen, there's no hope. When I look at everything that's wrong in my life, every problem I have, I just, I've totaled it up, and I'm telling you, I'm going to lose. So he describes his experience in the last verse as being in prison. Now, wait a minute, David, you're not in prison, you're in a cave. Yes, I know, but sometimes your caves become your prisons, don't they? 
Sometimes the problems you go through literally incarcerate you in the midst of them and you can't get out and there's no way to look and you don't know what to do. And David is right there in his life. This is his low point and he's telling us what it's like. He's telling us honestly what he feels. And we can identify with it because we've walked with him through all these experiences. David is a man after God's own heart. And so when he thinks about Ahimelech the priest and that whole family being annihilated because of his rebellion, David just so overwhelmed with it all. And if we read the psalm, we, we sure identify, don't we? Some of you here today have been right where David was, and some of you are there right now. You may think I've been reading your mail. You may think I've been listening to your conversations because I've just described what's happening with you. Well, folks, I don't want to leave you there. The thing that's so great about this psalm is David kind of works his way through it. I I want to just show you the beginning and the end of the psalm. And then I want to take you through the steps in between. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord. Verse 7, thou shalt deal bountifully with me. How did David get from the depths of depression to the confidence that he shows in the last verse? Well, at the risk of being very simplistic, let's just watch carefully the steps he walked through. And these are steps which we too can experience. First of all, he verbalized what was going on in his life. I have come to this psalm often and read it often because it reminds me of all the things I don't like to do when I have problems. And I'm reminded that David was a man of God who followed these principles in his own life and shows us the way that we should go when we have difficulty. If you will look through the psalm, you will notice it over and over again. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord. Verse 2, I poured out my complaint. Verse 5, I cried unto thee. Verse 6, attend unto my cry. What is David doing? He's telling God what's going on. You say, doesn't God know? Oh, yes, he knows. Why is it so hard for us to do that? Why do we struggle? Some of you here today have a problem that's overwhelming to you. It's bigger than you can bear. But you cannot bring yourself to tell anybody what's happening. And you haven't even told God. Before God, we speak our minds fully and name the problems and the people that plague us. Why do we do that? First of all, I do it because the best friend I have in the universe is the God of heaven. He knows. And I can say to him anything that's in my heart. Isn't that what a true friend is? A true friend is somebody to whom you can go, pour out your heart, and say everything that you want to say. And as one writer has said, they will keep the wheat and blow the chaff away. Do you have anybody that you can get in the car with and lock the door, roll up the windows, and you vent? And you say, I'm going to tell you what is going on in my life. Here's what I feel. And you can scream if you want to. And holler. And cry. That's what God is for us. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very spiritual. But I want to tell you something. You can't get to verse 7 if you don't walk through that step. Until you get to the place where you can tell God what you feel, as honestly as you know how to say it. And I'm not talking about chronic complaining or negative uh, begging of God. I'm simply saying, oftentimes we don't come to God with our problem. We don't cry out to God from the cave. Mm -hmm. 
You know, so many people have come to me and said, Pastor, will you pray for me? And sometimes I ask them, have you asked God about this yourself? And no, 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 Pastor, that's why we're asking you. Well, if you haven't prayed for it yourself, if you haven't asked God yourself, you shouldn't be telling other people to ask. I mean, it's okay. I'm glad to do it. But you should follow what the Scripture says. The Bible says, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe it, you will ask God for what you need. And uh, come and ask me, too. I'll pray if I can. I'm happy to do that. But the point I'm trying to make is, you don't have to depend on someone else. I always tell people, my prayers don't have any more efficacy before God than yours. You don't stand in line behind anybody. You have God's full attention. And that's true because you come in the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him for what you need. Well, we'll have more of this tomorrow as we continue our discussion of the life of David, part two tomorrow, a prayer from a cave. See you then. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. There have been lots of automobile recalls lately, attempts to fix mistakes made at the factory. Golfers call recalls a mulligan, a chance to correct a bad shot with a better one. Recalls and mulligans are convenient when the issue isn't life or death. But in the most important matters of life, 
our words, our actions, and our decisions, there are no do-overs. That especially applies to the matter of eternal life. The Bible says we have one life and one death, after which there will be one judgment. We only have one chance to decide what we believe about Jesus Christ, salvation, and eternal life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perspective on second chances on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.